All right, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Bryce Hales, and I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC, and uh, it's great to have you with us this morning. Um, this morning, we are going to be, uh, this is the fourth Sunday in Advent, and Advent is the, uh, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And so this Advent, we have been looking um, at uh, passages in the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah lived about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, and um, as a prophet, he, he foresaw and foretold uh, the coming of the Messiah. And um, in the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, it's basically all bad news. <laughs> um, for 39 chapters, Isaiah says to God's people, Basically, God is going to come, and he is going to come uh, with justice. Um, and you will need a Messiah because uh, you have offended God. And he is going to punish. Uh, he's going to come with justice. Um, and then having made that point sufficiently clear in 39 chapters, in chapter 40, uh, he kind of turns a corner and he says, but there's, there's good news too. And so uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent this morning, we are looking at Isaiah chapter 40. And so uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me uh, to Isaiah 40. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find it on page 599 in the, uh, there's a blue Bible near you. And uh, if you would stand with me, it's our practice here to, uh, to join with churches around the world and standing when we hear um, the word of God. You know, if you go... Um, why do we stand? We stand because something important is about to happen. And if you're at a wedding before the bride comes in, everybody stands, right? If you're at a, um, you know, a, a baseball game and it's the ninth inning and it's tied, you don't sit there and eat a hot dog, right? Lay back. You stand up and you're on your feet. Well, we are about to listen to the word of God. So let's stand together. So we hear God's word in Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall, shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice, cry, a voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all, be and, and, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? 
Oh God, we pray, I pray that this morning as we look at these ancient words that we would see new life in them. That God, maybe these are words that uh, are familiar with us because they're part of music we hear at Christmas time. Uh, maybe they're confusing, maybe they just sound like, uh, like nice sounding words that don't really mean anything. God, whatever our initial response, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. Well, this past weekend, this past weekend, my little girl turned three, and uh, we experienced all the emotions. <laughs> um, for weeks leading up to her third birthday, she was so excited. Um, she said she was going to have a birthday party and it was going to be pink. And uh, everywhere she went, she invited people to her birthday. She might have invited you to her birthday. Sorry if you didn't get an official you know, invite. Some of you were there. Um, she, I mean, she invited the manager at Trader Joe's to her birthday. Um, she would invite everybody to her birthday. And when you would ask her, when is your birthday? She would say, I don't know. And, um, but she was so excited. Expectations were running high. And, uh, and so the morning of her party, friends and grandparents came over. And uh, we ate pink cake. And we had a dance party um, in which she danced like a maniac. And, um, and it was awesome. She opened presents. She's wearing most of them today. <laughs> uh, it was great. And then, and then everybody went home. <laughs> And, um, and the excitement faded. And she was over-sugared, she was over-tired, um, she was a mess, <laughs> and mom and dad's nerves were shot. And uh, we experienced every single emotion possible in regard to this birthday. The birthday girl went to bed early on Friday night having knocked over the Christmas tree uh, <laughs> in her living room. And uh, he was just like, wow. And I thought, wow, only one week until Christmas and we get to do it all again. <laughs> Times four in our family. Um, I don't know if that resonates with you, kids' birthdays or, um, or just the sense of Christmas. But I feel like it you know, just made me think sometimes there's a big difference between what we want, what we expect, and what we actually get. Um, I was really looking forward to this really fun celebration for my daughter's third birthday. And it was just, whew. <laughs> um, and sometimes Christmas is like that, right? Christmas is the happiest time of the year, right? That's how the song goes anyway. Um, but for some of us, uh, it's the most stressful time of the year. For some of us, it's the busiest time of the year. Uh, for some of us, maybe it's the loneliest time of the year. Um, there's a difference between what we want and what we actually experience. You know, there's parties and there's presents and there's Christmas cards that we still got to get in the mail. And then, um, you know, just when you think you've finished your shopping, uh, your mom tells you, actually, your brother is going to be there on Christmas Day, autobiographically speaking. <laughs> there's one more. What in the world are you going to get for my brother who doesn't have a house um, for Christmas? What is he? I don't know. Um, and then you forgot about the presents that you need to get for your kids' teachers. And it just goes on and on and on and on, right? There's, there's this hope and there's this longing. There's this expectation that Christmas is going to be, oh, it's going to be so great. But getting there is, um, 
difficult. <laughs> um, difference between what we want and what we actually experience. I heard a story uh, about somebody who had that experience, a, um, a woman named Christina Vindiola. She was standing outside Walmart. She's a Salvation Army bell ringer. She's sitting there ringing the bell uh, while a, when a woman assaulted her. And um, she was interviewed on the news. She said, um, this woman assaulted her for saying happy holidays. And uh, she was interviewed on the news. She said, a woman looked at me. I thought she was going to put money in the kettle. She came up to me and she said, do you believe in God? You're supposed to say Merry Christmas. And then she hit me. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, right? Um, Christmas is stressful, people, right? <laughs> um, just trying to do my shopping at Walmart, right? Um, sometimes there's a difference between what we expect or what we want and what we actually experience. Christmas is the happiest time of the year, but man, it's a really stressful, happy time for a lot of us. And the first word in the passage that we're looking at this morning ought to come as really good news for us, uh, because I think it's actually what we all want and what we all expect. It's what we long for when we think about Christmas, comfort. We want Christmas to bring comfort. We want to slow down. We want to enjoy the time with our kids, with our friends, with our families and our extended families. Um, we want not just to be busy and stressed. Um, you know, we want to celebrate. Um, we want to be comforted. We want to be embraced. We want somebody else um, to reach out to us. We want to be on the receiving end of somebody else's um, meticulously planned dinner gift. The truth is that at Christmas, deep down, every one of us wants to know that we are loved. We want to know that there's something in our lives that is real. We want to know that there's something in our lives in the midst of the chaos of everyday life that gives meaning and purpose and significance. We want to know that the joy and the peace that we, that we hear in songs, you know, all on the radio and, and all over the place, at Christmas time, we want to know that that joy and that, that peace, that they're real, that they're things that we can actually tangibly experience and not just sort of cliches that we hear um, on the radio at Christmas time. We want to know that Christmas isn't just sentimentalism, but we want to experience the joy and the love and the peace and the hope of Christmas. Every one of us wants comfort, and I think especially at Christmas, that's the hope. It's the hope of Christmas. Blaise Pascal, who was a, uh, I don't know, a theologian and a mathematician and um, many more things who lived in the 1600s, he said that there is, an, there is in each one of us a hunger, and there is in each one of us a longing, and in each one of us there is a helplessness. Um, he called it an infinite abyss. And he said because there is this infinite abyss in each one of us that we will stuff anything in that, in that abyss to try to fill the hole. But what is infinite cannot be filled by anything finite. And so only God can come into our lives and fill that infinite abyss. Only the one who is himself infinite can fill us. At Christmas we long for comfort because deep down we long for God. And much of the ache and the stress, and even the, the letdown of the morning after Christmas comes from hoping that things and people and parties will bring us comfort when we know that only God can really do that. 
Okay, now let me just pause right now and say it would be really easy and even somewhat tempting to sort of do this like pastoral jujitsu move right now and say comfort isn't the answer. And, um, and we should just not be so fickle and shallow that we really want to be comfortable. Um, you know, something like presents and people and Christmas trees are just stuff. It'll make you feel comfortable, but comfort is overrated. So just, you know, what you really need is Jesus. So just kind of suck it up. <laughs> I remember my, my coach, when I, when I was in high school, my cross-country coach, you know, you'd stand about two and a half miles into the third mile race, and he'd just stand there and yell, suck it up, suck it up. <laughs> you know, you don't need comfort, you need Jesus. Merry Christmas, let us pray. <laughs> but that's not what I'm going to do, because that would be a profoundly superficial way to talk about comfort and Christmas. But even more importantly than that, that's not actually what Isaiah does. That's not what Isaiah says about comfort. What Isaiah says is this, that everything human, um, he says, I mean, in the middle pass, part of the passage, he says, all flesh is like grass um, and like flowers of the field. He doesn't say that, that um, comfort is silly or trite or beneath you. Um, he says that everything human, that human comfort is like grass or it's like flowers. It's beautiful. It's good. But it doesn't last. Um, you know, one day, it's, um, one day it's beautiful, the next day it's cut down and tossed into the fire. Isaiah is not saying that human comfort is beneath you. Um, he's just saying that it doesn't last. And that's why, um, you know, that's why there's the letdown after Christmas. That's why my daughter crashes at the end of her birthday party. Uh, because this thing, you know, the, the comfort that's been promised for so long is now coming to an end. Um, it was great, but it ends. Eventually, everything ends. And the Bible isn't wagging its finger at us here and saying comfort is, you know, unbecoming. The Bible isn't saying the world would be a better place if we all stopped caring about our own comfort and just cared more about other people, you know, suck it up, right? What Isaiah is holding out to us is not actually less than comfort. It's, it's more than comfort. It's more than comfort. Because see what the passage says. Uh, the passage doesn't just start with comfort, does it? It says, comfort, comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Not just comfort, but comfort, comfort. We can put it like this, eggnog and um, chestnuts roasting on an open fire and uh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas might bring you comfort. But Jesus being born as a baby at Christmas will bring you comfort, comfort. Isaiah is telling us that Christmas is about the king. There's a king and he's coming back and, and when he comes back, he won't just make you comfortable. He won't just bring you comfort, but he will bring you comfort, comfort. And that's really the one thing that I want to try to get across to you today. Jesus doesn't just make us comfortable. He brings us comfort, comfort. Now, what does that mean? Um, and how do we get it? Well, in the Hebrew language, repetition is used. Repetition of a word is used for emphasis. Uh, the Hebrew language very, uh, very rarely uses like superlatives, like um, you know, big, bigger, biggest. Um, Hebrew tends to emphasize things by repeating the same word. Um, so in Genesis two, um, 
Genesis 2.17, most of our Bibles would say, you know, God comes to Adam and Eve and says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But what it literally says in Hebrew, it says, if you eat of the tree, dying you will die. It says a repetition of the word. Or Jesus said, um, you know, that there are people who come to him and they don't just call him Lord, they call him Lord, Lord, right? Not just uh, you're a good person, but you're the best person, you're the greatest person. And what, uh, what Isaiah is promising here, he doesn't just speak of comfort. God doesn't just speak comfort to his people, but comfort, comfort. Christmas is about the king who comes not just to bring comfort, but to bring comfort, comfort. To bring comfort that will never fade away. To bring comfort that will last. Comfort, comfort is what, what we're really longing for. Um, comfort, comfort is the assurance that even when the storms of life blow you around, that there is an anchor for your soul that will hold you. Comfort, comfort is healing, not just superficially, but healing what really makes us sick. Healing that lasts, healing that is complete, healing that is whole. Comfort, comfort is friendship and meaning and enjoyment, purpose and pleasure, and so on and so on, that never fades away. Sounds pretty good, right? So how do we get comfort, comfort? Well, to understand, uh, we have to understand a little bit of the context of what's happening in Isaiah 40. Um, I, I mentioned this a minute ago, but Isaiah 40, Isaiah is, is, is basically predicting God's um, judgment on his people um, that God, that Israel, God's people have been, um, you know, they have wandered away from God. They have abandoned God. Um, and so God is going to send them into exile. And um, they, they're going to be swept away by foreign powers. They're going to be miserable. And in the midst of that, that time of exile, they're going to be wondering, has God abandoned us? Have we, you know, have we finally done it? Is God given, has God given up on us? And having predicted that time of discipline, Isaiah says it's not going to last forever. Even in the midst of this devastation, there is going to be hope. Because God is going to bring comfort, comfort. And God says through Isaiah, even though you have abandoned me, I'm not going to abandon you. Now why? Well, he says in verse 2, proclaim that her, her is Israel Proclaim that her warfare is ended. Her struggle is ended. Uh, and then it says that her iniquity is pardoned. Proclaim that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now when he says that, proclaim that, that Israel, that God's people have received double for all of their sins. I, I don't know if how that strikes you, but it, it could sound like God is saying, okay, you finally ticked me off so bad, I'm going to send you into exile, and I'm going to like doubly punish you, right? You're going to receive double from the Lord's hand for all your sins. Um, and if that's what, you know, but, but at the end, you've paid doubly for your sins, and so then I'll bring you back, and I'll still be your God. Now, if that's what Isaiah is saying, I don't think that really sounds like great news. Um, and there's a lot of reasons, but I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but, um, but that's not what God is saying. Um, you, look, look at the passage. What does it say? Um, God doesn't say, uh, you know, you're going to pay double. Does the Bible ever say that God is going to punish you, like, 
double for your sin. Now, the Bible never says that. But what does it mean when it says um, that we will receive double? Well, uh, what, what does it actually say we are going to receive? Um, what, what is going to be doubled? It says we will receive uh, what from the Lord's hand? Punishment? No, I mean, the word punishment isn't even there, right? It says that God's people will receive from the Lord's hand double. It doesn't say that we're going to receive double punishment. It says we're going to receive double from the Lord's hands. What that means is um, God is going to pay doubly for the sins of his people. What it's saying is that the reason the exile will only be temporary and the reason that the hardship and suffering and, um, and joy that is only temporary uh, in your life, the reason why all of those things will only be temporary is because God is going to pay doubly for your sin. Now, is that, is that actually what he says? Well, it is. Um, and we know you can, you can, I mean, kind of double checks in this passage because if you go down to verses 10 and 11, what it says in verses 10 and 11 is that there is a king and that he's coming back. And it, it talks about the mighty arm of the king and there's this military language and he's going he's gonna to come with a recompense and, and with his reward, right? He's, he's a returning king and he's victorious and he's mighty and he has conquered and he's... He's coming back. It says that in verse 10. And then in verse 11, what does it say? What's he going to do? It says he's going to tend his flock and he's going to gather his lambs. And what, it, what it's saying is that there is going to be, that when the king comes back, when the glory of the Lord comes, what happens at Christmas is that the victorious king comes back to the world that he created. He is the conquering king, but he comes as a shepherd. Um, that the king returns... Uh, victorious, but he is tender. The mighty and powerful king comes to care for the poor and for the weak. He comes gently. He comes for us. It says that the king comes with his reward in verse 10. Now what is his reward? Um, up until this week, when I, when I had read this passage, I thought, you know, what that means is that you know, he's coming in like triumph and like uh, the, the spoils of war. He's, he's victorious. And, um, but in verse 10, it says uh, he's coming with his reward and his reward is with him. And immediately it, it just says what, what his reward is, that he will tend his flock like a, like, a, like a shepherd. And he will gather his lambs in his arms. His reward is us. His reward is his people. Um, I heard somebody say, um, you know, where do you, um, what do you, what do you get a, uh, what do you get somebody who has everything, <laughs> right? God, owned, uh, Isaiah's going to go on to say that God, uh, the stars of the earth are like dust before him. He owns the mountains. Uh, he owns the galaxies. He owns everything. What do you get? What is God's reward? It's his people. It's his people. Where do you see the power of God and the tenderness of God coming together? Where you see the majesty of God and the humility of God coming together. Um, well, you see it most clearly in the cross, don't you? Um, you know, on the, way, on the way to the cross, when Jesus is on his way to the cross, one of the things that happens is Jesus is, is, is being arrested as a Peter. You know, one of his disciples, uh, they come to arrest Jesus, and Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off uh, you know, the, the ear of, of one of the guards who's there to arrest Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, uh, do you really think I need to, you to protect me? 
Don't you know, Peter, that um, if I want, I can call on armies of angels to defend and protect me. But I haven't come to wage war, and I don't need protecting, because I've come not to win, not to defend myself, but I've come to give myself up. I have come to give up my life. Now, why, why would Jesus come to give up his life? was double payment. To receive that we might receive double from God's hand. On the cross, Jesus takes the death that we deserve in order to give us the life that he deserves. So God doesn't just pay for our sin and leave it at that. That would be good, but not great. God doesn't just get us off the hook. And then, um, and then just leave us at kind of like zero. Uh, I mean, think about it like this way. Think about it like this. Um, imagine you're a prisoner, you're on death row, and you receive a pardon. Now, initially, that's great news, right? You're pardoned. Your crime has been pardoned. You are set free from prison. Initially, wow, that's great. And then you get out of prison, and then what? Like, where are you going to live? Who's going to hire you? Who's going to go on a date with you? And nobody's going to want their daughter to marry I, um, somebody who was just pardoned from death row, right? But Jesus doesn't just get us off the hook for our sins. He doesn't just pay the penalty for our sin, but he gives us his life, double payment. Um... He doesn't just take us, take our sins, but he gives us his life. God doesn't just pardon you, um, but he gives you double, double what you, you know, double from his hand. Not double what you deserve, double from his hands. What that means is that God doesn't just endure you, but that God is crazy about you. I have um, come to a point in my life where I realize that a lot of what has motivated me in my life is um, avoiding being a disappointment. That I'm terrified of being a disappointment. And, um, and so much of, of you know, my desire to work hard and to make things happen has been, I don't want to be a disappointment. I don't want to let people down. But you know what the gospel is? The gospel is that because Jesus hasn't just paid for your sins and my sins, but he has given me and you his life that God doesn't just endure me or you, but that God is crazy. That God is crazy about you. Uh, you know, in the New Testament, as far as I can tell, there's only two places where you hear the audible voice of God the Father. And he says the, both, the same thing both times. At Jesus' baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration, right before Jesus goes to the cross, the audible voice of God the Father says, This is my Son who I love. Only two times in the Bible, New Testament at least, the, the voice of God the Father it, it speaks. He says, this is my boy and I love him. And Jesus has given you his life. And what that means is that when God sees you, when God looks at you, he doesn't just endure you, but he loves you. He's crazy about you. He looks at you the way that he looks at his own son. Christmas is about comfort. But the real meaning of Christmas is comfort, comfort. Not just comfort. Comfort, comfort. 
Double payment. God doesn't just get you off the hook for your sins. He loves you. He's crazy about you. That is good news. That is good news that doesn't fade, that doesn't end. God loves you. He welcomes you into his family. That's the message of Isaiah 40. Now, briefly, if that's what Isaiah has to say, comfort, comfort, not just comfort, what should we do? How should we respond? Well, um, he says one, one thing. In verse 9, he says, if this is true, if you haven't just received comfort, but you've received comfort, comfort, you should shout about it. Um, in verse 9, he says, Get you up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, lift your voice up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Isaiah is saying, if God is coming, Jesus has come at Christmas to bring us comfort, comfort, you should shout about it because that's really incredibly good news. You know, what do you do when you fall in love? Like, there's a reason why there's the cliche, I want to shout it from the rooftops or the mountaintops, right? When you fall in love, you want to tell everybody about it. Or um, when you discover a great restaurant, you want to tell people about it. I literally did this. I told Nick I was going to say this. Like, I went to this, I had lunch at Taco Maria in Costa Mesa this week. It's amazing. I, like, I didn't know a taco could blow my mind. You should go there. It's so good. Um, <laughs> when you find a great restaurant, you want to tell people about it. Uh, when somebody gets you exactly what you wanted for Christmas, you're excited about it. You tell other people. And you know what? When God gives you the perfect gift, when God, the king, comes into your life and brings you comfort, comfort, you tell people. You shout about it. Now, I know that saying that might bring more angst than comfort to many of us. Um, but let me say two things. Um, the first is, if you're genuine, uh, like if you've taken a class about how to tell people about Jesus, and you're just doing it out of drudgery, and like, I don't want to talk to anybody, but I'm supposed to, that's not going to work very well, no matter how effective or persuasive you are. But if you're excited about Jesus and you're actually experiencing, I'm going to trip. Um, if you're experiencing his comfort, comfort, like that's going to come through you. And it doesn't really matter how eloquently you're able to make a case for the like existence of God and overcome everybody's objections. Like think about what I just said about Taco Marie. I never, I didn't say anything like. I, I didn't give you any facts about it, right? I just said, wow, it was amazing, and because I really think that. Nick's going to eat lunch there today. He told me already. Okay, so um, if you're genuine um, in shouting, I'm not saying literally shouting about Jesus, by the way, but I'm saying tell people. Um, but secondly, um, you know, inviting people to church um, like, you can invite people to church and I'll tell them about Jesus. <laughs> like, really. Um, like, next week, we have a Christmas Eve service. And, um, you know, churches are full of people who thought they were just going to church on Christmas Eve. Uh, and they found out it wasn't just this, like, holiday tradition, and they came back. Um, I, I, I 
I don't know if this number statistics, you never know if they're actually true. Uh, I saw, saw something this last week that said 82% of people who don't go to church would be willing to go to church if they were invited by a friend. Now, the key word there is by a friend, right? Um, just like putting things on the internet, um, not terribly effective. Um, but if you're a friend and you say to somebody, hey, would you come to church with me on Christmas Eve? Um, most of them will come. Invite your friends to Christmas Eve with us. Invite your friends to church next in the new year. Uh, we've got some really, I, a couple things we're going to do in the new year I'm so excited about. Um, we're going to start off the new year talking about how seeing Jesus for who he really is uh, makes everything else in life clear. We're going to talk in, in the new year um, about how God's story actually informs our story and enables us to be the people that he has created us. We're going to do some, I think, incredible things in the new year. Invite your friends. Invite your friends to join us. Um, maybe another way to say it is, you don't have to sell Jesus. Um, like, if you think you can sell Jesus, you're doing it wrong. Um, you don't need to sell comfort to people, right? You just put a picture of it on TV and it's like, oh, I want that, right? Well, we're not selling, Jesus is not offering comfort, he's offering comfort, comfort. All we gotta do is talk about it, we don't have to sell it. It's like discovering a great deal. <laughs> I just thought of this, uh, this week, I saw this thing, um, a Dyson vacuum, it's like 600 bucks, was on sale for $200. I texted Ashlyn like, we need that. She said, yeah, we need that, that's a great deal. Right, I didn't have to sell her on it, she didn't sell me on it. She put it on the credit card, figured it out later. <laughs> Great deal sells itself. Jesus is offering comfort, comfort. Now you might be saying, okay, that sounds great. Thank you for reminding me of this wonderful fairy tale of Christmas that's really inspiring. Um, let me finish by saying this. You know, real comfort, uh, like comfort that's going to be meaningful, it's going to mean anything, has to be grounded in reality. Um, you know, if you're already a happy person, if you're already comfortable in life, uh, a fairy tale might be like, yay. But um, if you're actually going through something difficult in life, um, you need real comfort that's grounded in reality. You need, you need a strong comfort. You need comfort, comfort. Um, or if you want to not just kind of ride the ups and downs of life, but that you want to experience... Um, God as the anchor of your soul, no matter what's going on in your life. You need comfort that's real. Comfort, comfort. I was thinking, um, as I was working on this message this week, about, um, uh, it was in 2004, um, the day after Christmas, there was a massive tsunami in the Indian Ocean. Do you remember this? I remember, um, uh, you know, it, it, we, we don't really call it the day after Christmas. Uh, Boxing Day, a lot of the other parts of the world refer to the day after Christmas as Boxing Day. And I, I just remember this because Ashley and I were, we were living overseas and we were flying home on the 26th back to be with family because it was cheaper the day after Christmas. And I, I remember sitting in, you sit in airports, you know, when you try to fly across the world and just sitting there watching the screens, the Boxing Day tsunami. Um, in 2004, uh, there were 50 to 100 foot tall waves that affected almost every country that touches the Indian Ocean. 14 countries, um, Indonesia, 
was the hardest hit. A quarter of a million people died. One of the most deadly natural disasters ever recorded. This blew my mind. It said the, the earthquake that caused the tsunami lasted somewhere between 8 and 10 minutes. Isn't that unbelievable? And I remember sitting there in the airport thinking, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and chestnuts roasting on an empty fire, open fire are not going to bring a lot of comfort to people affected by the Boxing Day tsunami. Let it snow isn't going to do a whole lot for people who have been devastated. Fairy tales might comfort us when we're already happy, but they won't bring comfort comfort. They won't bring comfort that lasts. But Christmas isn't a fairy tale. Christmas isn't just some inspiring story. Like, if Christmas is an inspiring story, what does it inspire you to do? Um, like, have children in barns? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Christmas only brings comfort if it's real. So let me finish with this. Um, I think I maybe already said that once, but I'm really going to finish with this. <laughs> John Lennox is a math professor at Oxford University, so he's smart, right? And uh, in his book, he, one of his books, he tells a story, he's a, he's a Christian, and he tells a story about touring Eastern Europe uh, and, and specifically being in Germany on this tour where they were, they were touring some of the World War II sites, and they went uh, into this, they saw this um, exhibit in a museum about Auschwitz. And um, he says, on the tour, there was a Jewish woman and as they looked at this display of the gates of Auschwitz, and there, was, there were pictures, sort of the effects of the um, medical experiments that had been done in that place on young children, this Jewish woman turned to John Lennox and said, and what does your religion make of this? You know, sort of accusingly pointing the finger. And this is what he said. He said, what was I to say? She had lost her parents and many relatives in the Holocaust. I could scarcely bear to look at the photographs because of the sheer horror of imagining my children suffering such a fate. I had nothing in my life that remotely paralleled the horror that her family had endured. But still she stood in the doorway waiting for an answer. I eventually said, I would not insult the memory of your parents by offering you simplistic answers to your question. What is more, I have young children and I cannot even bear to think how I might react if anything were to happen to them, even if it were far short from the evil that has been done here. I have no easy answers, but I do have what for me at least is a doorway into an answer. And she said, and what's that? And he said, you know that I'm a Christian, and that means that I believe that Jesus is the, is the Messiah. I also believe that he was God incarnate, and came into our world as a savior, which is what his name, Yeshua, in Hebrew means. Now I know that this is even more difficult for you to accept. Nevertheless, just think about this question. If Yeshua was really God, and I believe that he was, what was God doing on a cross? Could it be that God begins just here to meet our heartbreaks by demonstrating that he did not remain distant from our human suffering but became himself a part of it. For me, this is the beginning of hope, and it is a living hope that cannot be smashed by the enemy of death, 
The story does not end in the darkness of the cross. Yeshua conquered death. He rose from the dead, and one day as the final judge, he will assess everything in absolute fairness, righteousness, and mercy. He says there was a silence. She was still standing there, in a sense, with her arms outstretched in the doorway in a silent, motionless cross. And then with tears in her eyes, she said, why has no one ever told me that about my Messiah? How do we get comfort? Comfort. We get comfort, comfort, because Jesus is the man of sorrows. Jesus is the returning king who comes not just as a just judge, but as a humble servant, as a baby who is born in obscurity and poverty to lift us out of poverty and obscurity. And he goes to the cross, exchanging places with us, taking our death and giving us his life, giving us double payment, double from God's hand. The king who endures unimaginable suffering in order to bring us comfort, comfort. Christmas and presents and eggnog might bring us comfort. But the real meaning of Christmas and Jesus born on Christmas Day brings us comfort, comfort. Comfort that will never end. Comfort that truly lasts. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you have been transforming the lives of unlikely people for thousands of years. And I pray that maybe this Christmas, maybe for the first time, that we would know comfort, comfort. That in the midst of the chaos and the stress and the preparation and the getting everything ready and getting to the parties and all that needs to be done. That we would know that Christmas doesn't have meaning simply because of what we give or receive. And that Christmas doesn't even have meaning because um, we believe in you and we know, you know the true meaning of Christmas. But that we would experience lasting comfort because you have come and found us. You have broken into this world to make us your own. That you have given us double from your own hands. That you have given us life. That we would find comfort, comfort in that. We pray in your name, Jesus.